The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, welcome to my new baby, the Eco Right Speaks, a podcast produced by RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, Director of Editorial Content for Republic EN. And before we get to today's guest, Sarah Hunt, I wanted to express how much your support means to us. We are blown away by how many of y'all are listening and reaching out to offer suggested guests, to volunteer even, offering topics and all the things you want to hear. So on behalf of the entire team, I thank you. If you've never heard of Republic EN, I urge you to head over to our website, www.republicen.org. And if you're so inclined, join us. As a member of the Republic EN community, you will receive a weekly newsletter from me summarizing the week's eco-right climate news, as well as occasional emails from our founder and executive director, former South Carolina Congressman Bob Inglis. You will also have the opportunity to take actions and participate in our monthly poll. We never spam you. We don't share your name or email with anyone, ever. And while you're at it, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Give us a five-star Give us five stars on Apple Podcast, write a review, and Price will read it on the air. But before we get to today's heart of the episode, we're going to have a little chat with Alex Bosmoski, the Boz, as we call him. Actually, just kidding. I've literally never referred to you as the Boz. Hi there, Alex. Hey, Charles. Hey, I thought we could do a little word nerding for a second, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. All right. You coined the term eco-right, which has become a real strong identifier for us. Do you remember the moment when the word came to you? No. Wow, you I'm, don't? Oh, I thought there would be some great story behind it. I I have, I can I can spin you a yarn. Spin me a yarn, Alex. Not, spin me a yarn. Not the moment. Okay. <laughs> so 2012, early 2013, Bob and I were doing a lot of traveling around the country to speak to conservative groups about the need for this a resurgence of environmental leadership on the center right. And I remember how awkward it was when we would, you know, we would talk about how the country is being underserved by the dominance of the environmental left. And you know, we we need to pull together as, and and we didn't really have an I, I identifier or like a a name for our tribe. So at first, the you know corollary to environmental left sounds like maybe it should be environmental right. <laughs> so we would say. Plus, that's you know, really a very awkward thing to say, right? The corollary to the. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I, I don't think I would say that. I was, I was just, but it, it naturally comes out. You know, the environmental left is not doing a good job. Competition, as always, creates better outcomes. So we need an environmental right. But that that just sounds really weird because people would think. I mean, I would think, and I think even I, I think I do remember um, someone asking us at a town hall style event in in the city hall 
at, at in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Um, someone saying like, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite clear on what is an environmental right? Like, is it the right of the environment or is it, <laughs> is it our right to the environment or, but it, it sounds like you're suggesting a positive or a negative right and not like the right of center political <laughs> philosophy. And so that just wasn't working. And, um, you know, and, and the other ways to express it, like, no, we need a, a conservative philosophy of environmental leadership, especially as re as regards climate change. Like, it just takes up too many words. So eco-right was about as short as we could possibly make it um, to identify, you know, to kind of identify the tribe and, and, and cast some, you know, uh, opposition to the, uh, or contrast with the environment, you know, the environmental left. Well, I just think that now our listeners understand that I don't share my questions ahead of time, because obviously, if I did, you would not have been been thrown for a loop by that. And then I also wanted to share with our listeners that you and I went several rounds on how to spell eco right with a hyphen, no hyphen, capitalized E, capitalized R. And for a while, I'm just going to out you, Alex. You were advocating for lowercase E and uppercase R, but that just made my inner grammarian head explode. Do you remember that? I remember that. But, you know, while we're sharing secrets, Chelsea, I might raise that you did not like EcoWrite one iota. Because you thought it kind of sounded like alt-right. And I so did, you just yeah. wanted, to, you're like, nope, nope, we got to find something else. <laughs> I did. You're right. And now I've so leaned into it that that's kind of funny. But I was afraid it was a little too, like, alt-right. But, you know, I think we own it now. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. And it was really neat to see, like, the journalists start picking up on it. I think in, in like, 2015... PBS ran a story about some organizations that are our friends, but that we don't work super closely with, um, or we hadn't at the time. And they called it like this eco-right movement that's sprouting up. And I'm like, I was watching this thinking, oh, that's so cool. That was the, I, I do remember the first time that, uh, that's that funny because TV. I was actually going to ask you how you feel seeing the media use this word that you, um, pretty much came up with on your own. Well, okay, so you, you know you can coin a neologism, but you don't uh, you don't own it. So I mean, I I found it, um, you know, lying around, and it's worked. But uh, folks are folks are using it, and then that's awesome. And uh, you know, I Jim Cramer <laughs> Jim Cramer coined the Fang stocks for Facebook, Apple, Google, and uh, or Netflix and Google, um, and I think that. Uh, um, oh, well, what's his name? He's on CNBC. Um, and he does like the, the bond, the bond reports. Um, but he, he was the one that sort of coined the tea party movement be before, before it actually started. Um, do you remember, you know, who I'm talking about, I'm no, forgetting that. You know, I never watch cable news, so. Uh, good on you. Well, if I watched it more, I would remember this guy's name, but anyways, you know, the, we, uh, um, I think it's pretty cool that 
not so much about the name. I mean, who cares? It's a name. But like, I think that it's really neat that we have an eco right movement. Like, I don't care what you call it, but I mean, the fact that when when we started working together, Chelsea, on this seven or seven years ago, about uh, you and me on this team, we had a tiny team, and it was a tiny movement, and the urgency of you know the climate um of climate change is only sped up but it's been just kind of beautiful to see so many organizations and grassroots activists and and now finally you know republican leaders that are taking up the mantle of climate leadership and we've never really had that many heroes on this side on you know on the eco right but we're start they're starting to emerge so I'm, yeah, I, I could care less what we call it, but I'm I'm really happy that it exists. So it really just has been wonderful for me to see how this community has just continued. It doubles, it doubles, it doubles, it doubles. I see the number of members we have every week when I'm preparing the Week in Review email, and we're over 10,000 now. And I remember when we hit 5,000, and it was this big moment. And, and I just love that our community is just everyone falls kind of in a different spot on the spectrum and some believe, you know, some are farther right and some are a little more toward the center and some are libertarian and, and everyone just comes at it from their own perspective. And that's, what's really great is we have this goal in mind of free market solutions to climate change, but no one's really judging where you fall otherwise. Yeah. There's, there's no purity test to be part of the eco, right? You, you should, uh, I think we're we're welcoming of a of, of diverse perspectives. You know, it, it it's most it's more about just I, I think the it's, it's like a I don't know, it's not a temperament, but it, it it's it's I'd a way it's, of being. It's, it's, <laughs> it's well, a state of mind. <laughs> it's an approach. It's mm-hmm. it's an approach. Like we we have this big problem and this engine of prosperity and innovation that has you know that has managed to transform economies and standards of living around the world that, you know, when (laughs) that over the last 40 years has, 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 uh, lifted or reduced, you know, um, uh, extreme poverty by 80%, um, all around the world, you know, that, that engine, um, of free market capitalism, needs to be at the center of any approach to innovating our way out of climate change. And just like recognizing the power of free enterprise to deliver solutions. I think that kind of that core recognition is, is, is kind of the, that that's what brings people into the eco, right? And there's a, there's a lot of intellectual diversity and political philosophy differences within the movement, but, at, at the core, I think it's this sense of we have this extremely powerful tool um, and and it would be really silly not to apply it to the most challenging problems. For sure. Well, Alex, I know that you and I could just talk for hours because sometimes we do. 
Um, but for our listeners, we're going to say goodbye to you and move on to our next guest, who I think you actually know better than any of us at Republic EN, Sarah Hunt, the co-founder and CEO of the Joseph Rainey Center for Public Policy. She has quite the conservative climate street cred. For sure. Oh, that's great. You're talking to Sarah. Yeah, Sarah's awesome. Um, I think one of, you know, she does a lot of things. Um, and uh, one of the things that she she does is um, LAMP. And she'll tell you about it. But I there's a lot of organizations on the eco right that have kind of different niches. Um, but clearly, one of the things that we have to do is make sure that the pipeline of public servants is part of our movement here. So it's not just worrying about, you know, the grassroots in districts of existing lawmakers. And it's not just hoping to embolden the leadership of Senator X or Congressman Y. Like for this movement to achieve durable um, leadership that can sustain in the long term project of decarbonization. I mean, we're talking about like 15 Congresses and at least four presidents until we hit 2050. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a fantasy to think we're going to do that with existing lawmakers or with one party or I mean, we're going to need bipartisan deal making principled leaders for the next couple generations. And Sarah, more than most, is, is like been focused on um, enfranchising into climate solutions those up and coming rising leaders at the state level that are tomorrow's congressmen and senators. And if she's successful in doing that, I think we'll have a lot um, uh, better chance at sustaining an eco right movement throughout and to accelerate the whole project of decarbonization. Well, she definitely talks about the LAMP program in her segment. And just for our listeners who don't know Sarah at the Rainey Center, she leads public policy and research as well as leadership development, which Alex was just talking about. Um, And she focuses her efforts on women, minorities and mavericks, which I just think is really fun because I love to say the word maverick, especially Um, She's worked for Alec. She's worked for the Niskanen Center. She has really kind of done a little bit of everything, including practicing law. And y'all know I'm a big fan of the written word. So Sarah's commentary on energy and climate policy is regularly sought by publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Politico, Axios, and others. And I know I'm always happy when I see her byline gracing an op-ed. So I encourage you to stay with us and listen to my um, interview with my discussion with Sarah Hunt. And without further ado, we will speak to Sarah. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. You're really awesome at this podcasting thing, Chelsea. Thank you. Thanks. And now, our executive director, Bob Inglis, with an idea worth sharing. Traveling the country and talking to conservatives, especially young conservatives, it's fun to think back on periods of history where things really changed, where the earth really moved, you know? Um, and often what I'm said, heard to say to them is, well, none of us were there when they wrote the Constitution. And most of us weren't old enough to march in Selma. But we can be there 
when we solve climate change. It's an incredible calling. It's the calling of this generation. The question is whether we'll rise to that calling. Well, I happen to think we will. Maybe it's an idea worth sharing. Hello, welcome listeners to the EcoRight Speaks. Joining me today is Sarah Hunt, a leader in conservative clean energy policy and a successful social entrepreneur. As co-founder and CEO of the Joseph Rainey Center for Public Policy, she leads public policy research and leadership development programs by and for women, minorities, and mavericks. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Chelsea. It's great to be here talking to you. It's so great to see you. How are you holding up during this quarantine period? You know, it's been a lot of fun. I decided to move during quarantine, which was, you know, pros and cons. A lot of time to settle in, but also very distracting because you're unpacking unpacking boxes all the time. You could probably Uh, get movers pretty easily, though. Actually, they're all closed, so it was hard to find one. They weren't essential workers, I guess. (laughs) They were, but many of the, you know, the smaller local shops that you know and trust were, were, uh, they're on hiatus or closed. Oh. Yeah. I did get to go out to Utah and spend a month hiking with my brother. Oh, well, I was going to ask, actually, one of my questions is that I know you travel all the time, and I was wondering how you were feeling having your wings clipped. It's great. Um, people actually, Molly, who's our comms director, teases me. She says I'm really just a Susie homemaker, so I enjoy being home. I've been, I've been uh, baking pies and all this stuff. So, Sarah, for the listeners who don't know who Joseph Rainey was, I thought that maybe you could just explain a little bit about the name of your think tank and what compelled you to want to co-found it. The Rainey Center is named after Representative Joseph Rainey. He was the first African-American member of the House of Representatives. He served as a Republican from South Carolina during Reconstruction, served four terms. Uh, He had some notable accomplishments, including... Uh, really being the driving force behind the Civil Rights Act of 1871. So that's really interesting. And I love that you are doing public policy for women, minorities, and mavericks. So I thought maybe you could talk a little about what sparked that as your guiding force. This goes back to, you know, why did I co-found this organization? (laughs) Uh, My my friend and partner in the Rainy Center work is uh, Bishop Garrison. He's a progressive and a Democrat. Uh, he's an African-American war veteran, graduate of West Point. He served in the Obama administration and was Secretary Clinton's deputy foreign policy advisor on her campaign. And we both had bonded in our careers over this shared experience of, okay, he's a progressive Democrat in national security, and I'm a conservative woman in climate and clean energy. Uh, but we talk about you know, being postpartisan in the sense that I like the Arnold Schwarzenegger definition. You know, you're, you're kind of putting aside, you know, your self-interest to think about what's best for all the people. And I think you got Arnold Schwarzenegger in our Which Eco Right Hero Are You quiz like a year and a half ago. I did. I did. Good. <laughs> I like that. He's the, the governor is terrific. I think he had some interesting things to say. I know some people on the right say, oh, he's gone very liberal, but, you know, he's just He's someone whose heart's in the right place trying to do good things for all Americans and for California. And I think that's something that's that's good to emulate and that people can apply that that spirit regardless of what their core values are. I was going to 
I was going to take our listeners back to something you said when you started to explain the Rainey Center and about how you and Bishop would be in these rooms and not see other people like you. And that just sort of resonated with me because for years, people would talk about Sarah Hunt to me like we were best friends. And I was like, I've never met her. I've never met her. And I guess they just figured that the five women who work on conservative clean energy must know each other. But I know that that energy and and climate has been a particular focus for you and that Rainey has a lot of different issue areas that it works on. But talk about your passion for climate and clean energy and and how you see those policies kind of manifesting in this post-partisan world that you envision. I think for me, coming from a desert state like New Mexico and seeing climate change as water change as water scarcity when you don't have water, nothing else matters. I became, I just as a nerd interest fell in love with environmental law when I was in law school and kept going. I'm, you know, I enjoy doing things like reading the Clean Air Act, and I'm probably one of the few people who can read all 550 pages of the House Democrats uh, Select Committee on the Climate Crisis Report. So, you know, I just, I really enjoy the subject matter. And part of that is because I do appreciate how close it cuts to the basics of life itself. We can't go very long without water. Um, I was also born on Earth Day, uh, right? <laughs> I'm on brand from day one. But my, my dad will tell you the story about how I saved my first tree when I was seven. Oh. Yeah. So I've always had that, that connection. The other thing, too, is especially as, you know, my thinking has evolved beyond just sort of this academic policy wonk perspective to more, you know, philosophical 10,000 foot perspective. Actually, Bob Inglis played a big role in in that. Uh, When he gave his uh, Kennedy Award acceptance speech, he talks about how he was moved on climate because he heard the call to love, to love people that he'll never know because they'll come after him. And I think that's, a critical thing to think about in the context of climate and the context of American culture. You know, we think we're very short term. We think about quarterly cycles in business. We don't think about being good ancestors. We don't think about, you know, 50 years from now, what are things going to look like based on our behavior? And that's why I've, I've taken saying, look, it's not about climate change. It's about love. And it's about, you know, loving your neighbor and you know, loving your grandchildren and loving your children. You know, I understand that we have a party process in this country and people have deeply held beliefs about principles and what works best for governance. And that's wonderful. But I think as Americans, if we all sat and said, you know what, what can I do today? What is the kind of government that gives my neighbor and myself the best quality of life and the best dignity? Yeah, I think that you bring up so many good points, and it really is all about being a good neighbor. And whether that neighbor is literally the person who lives next to you or someone who lives across the country from you, it's, you know, the one thing that you do here can make a difference to, you know, around the world. And when you have that mindset that you're doing it for love, Mm -hmm. I really like that. I'm going to use that. Um, I think kind of looking at climate change as a long-term problem, even though we're seeing immediate impacts today, 
And then we're looking at the COVID crisis and and needing to rebuild our economy. How do you see clean energy policies helping or clean energy? I guess it doesn't have to be policy, but action. More important than policy, how do you see action on clean energy really being part of our economic recovery efforts? There are a number of ways. I, I think the nice thing is we were on a good track before, before the crisis. The question is, you know, what do we do now? You know, we just saw this week the government has authorized up to $750 billion in bond purchases, which are essentially bailouts for existing traditional, essentially fossil industry. You know, that's, that's something that we're doing, and there are reasons that that's you know, being done. But we also have, you know, for example, as part of the the future coronavirus response packages, the clean energy industry asking for extension of their tax credits. So it comes down to, you know, we're looking at those kind of subsidies across the board, making those investments. I think, again, it gives us an opportunity policy-wise to sit and say, okay, should we really be choosing based on favorites? who gets help now and who doesn't, you know, what should that policy be like? What should it be for different sectors? Uh, And I am hoping that kind of going forward as we process through that and our need for different kinds of energy and frankly, a lot of jobs. Right, because the rebuild or the recovery doesn't have to be just going back to what it was before, right? Like, don't we, I feel like as Americans, we like to think big and we're innovative. And so why wouldn't we want to build back in a better way than where we were before and in a way that helps more people and creates more jobs. And and so I, I know that there are efforts right now, um, Build Back Better is one coalition that I that kind of came across my reading recently. And and I think all of that work together, hopefully that do, we can elevate into this post-partisanship because it's really not functional with the way that it is now, right, where we have two sides super polarized and we're seeing it with covid we've seen it with climate change and it seems like every issue that comes along people take their corners instead of coming coming together and finding that middle and what it really seems like we're missing is we're missing those mavericks right like john mccain is the maverick who's like i don't care who you are i'm going to work with you on this issue i care about and Mm -hmm. and so to the extent that rainy center is helping identify and um groom those mavericks please find more and faster (laughs) oh we are um we're trying we we don't like to say grooming we prefer to say you know nurturing supporting yeah and one of the things that i try to do very specifically is give the policymakers tools and access to experts, understanding that every community and every state, the answer isn't going to be the same. And I'm and hopefully as we look at rebuilding, as we look at federal packages, the, the federal government has that baked into those packages. Um, for example, I haven't read a lot of the new Democrat House Democratic report, but they do talk about things like, you know, we want to hit this net zero goal by 2050 and we want to uh, in the electricity sector and we want to see clean energy standards and we want to see this and that, you know, those are usually like that level of regulation of the electricity sector. And that's usually a state level thing. So it's kind of, so I'm really interested to see how, you know, they elaborate on that and how each state's different resources and needs will be taken into account. You, for example, I lived in Oregon for several years 
And that state, most of its electricity comes from hydro, which is a zero carbon source, you know, depending how you calculate it. Um, but it's definitely one of the lowest carbon sources of energy. So, you know, and that state's going to be different than New Mexico, which is another state that I lived in, the birthplace of the atomic era, where they have a lot of sunshine. For sure. Yep. Right? But they also have a lot of coal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so they need to have a carbon capture and sequestration plan. I mean, there's no one size fits all. Everybody's going to have their own approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, frankly, a conservative value and a sustainability value overlap. Um, the Brundtland Commission, which was a UN commission on sustainability and you know what is it, uh, which was released, I want to say in the 70s, a long time ago. But one of the core principles of sustainability that this international commit commission out of the United Nations decided upon was this idea of local decision-making, having decisions made at a local level by communities. So for conservatives who believe in federalism around sustainability, uh, that's something that we can embrace. Having that humility, whether you're looking at federal policymaking, state policymaking, you know, or you know the county commission, having the humility to say, you know what, these people in this community might need something different than this blanket prescription. So how can we work with them to make that possible for them? How do we give them the tools that they need? I think this is especially important, you know, now that we're engaged in this national um, conversation about Black Lives Matter and equity and people talking about environmental and climate outcomes related to that, communities should have a say in their future, right? I shouldn't be, you know, you and I should not be sitting here telling people that live somewhere else or, you know, people of color what is best for them. You know, we as policymakers um, uh, on at whatever level and as community members and as citizens of this country need to have the humility to sit and listen. And I think that's that's really important. I think you mentioned listening and, and there definitely needs to be more listening in this country, right? We do a lot of conclusion jumping, I think, and don't spend enough time really listening and absorbing what we hear as well. And so to the extent that that you all are trying to – I like that you said support rather than groom, and, and support is such a better word, but you're trying to support – um, other voices who are going to be those listeners and who are going to be postpartisan and who are going to look at these issues that are so important in a different way, right? In a new way. We're rebuilding. We're rebuilding everything. We need to rebuild our government. We need to rebuild our economy. And and so it's great that you guys are out there. And I, I think you just had a two-year anniversary. Am I correct? The rainy side? Yeah, we did. So we, I was our first full-time staffer and I went full-time in June of 2018. Wow. Well, happy yeah, birthday. Yeah, it's been two years already now. What do you have cooking that is new for the next couple of years? Do you have some big things that are on your goal board that you'd like to see done? Yeah. So we are working on continuing to expand our thinking side. Hopefully, you know, bringing in more policy hires to support our efforts here in D.C., but also to support our state policymakers through LAMP. Um, we're working on, you know, building out uh, more support, more programming for our LAMP policymakers. And that's, of course, been a pivot because, you know, we've, we usually have done traditionally a lot of in-person work, in-person convenings, in-person, you know, smaller state visits, 
And now obviously more of that's virtual, but we did early on launch a LAMP virtual program that was so popular we've made it permanent. That's exciting. That's great. But what we do with those programs is we bring in a policy expert and 12 to 15 legislators and they get to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. We're also building online policy resource banks. Uh, we did one for COVID where we did a, we tracked the policy developments across all 50 states and the DC District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Uh, and it's a pretty comprehensive resource. You go on, we've got all the executive orders, all of the legislation, you know, the dates that they shut down, they, they locked down and the dates they started reopening. Um, we have the COVID case counts. We have links to local media and we have them for all the states. We are working on and we'll be rolling out soon, similar for clean, clean energy in the states. I'm excited to share that with the Republican. I'm sure some of your grassroots will really enjoy it. I love that. I'm definitely going to check out the COVID um, chart just because, you know, my son's about to go to school in Texas. And so I don't know, I haven't been following the Texas news. It'd be good to just have a one-stop shop to say, okay, this is what is happening there, or this is what's happening in, you know, where my dad lives or where my mom lives. Um, And I love it for clean energy. I love the idea that people can actually see what their own states are doing but also maybe steal some ideas from neighboring states where some of the same policies might work. Uh, and I also think too, you know, conservatives in the right of center should be talking more about what diversity and inclusion and racial justice mean from a conservative values perspective. Yeah. You know, what does equality mean? What does a more perfect union mean? And, you know, what can we do and how can we listen? Because I think we have to be honest and say that we're not doing a great job as conservatives on those issues. So it's really interesting to be part of that that conversation and the things that people tell me um, because they're just not used to a conservative voice being willing to sit and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that is a long way of saying uh, we are what we're doing and kind of building on the success of Lamp Virtual, we'll be doing a class of women, minorities, and mavericks who are young people interested in a career on the Hill. Some of them will be remote. Some of them might be here in D.C., and we'll do, you know, weekly virtual Zoom lunches or in person if they're here and want to do that with experts in different policy areas or networking or giving presentations. We'll work with them to do research projects with the support of our team and our media team to help them get some publications placed. That's um, so that, that kind of thing. We're still working out all of the details, but I'm really excited that um, we are we're going to be leaning into that. Uh, it, it's a great initiative that my co-founder is heading. Well, I will be sure on the day that our episodes drop, I always have a post on our website where I explain who we spoke to and give links to their organizations and where they're from. So I'll be sure to link the Rainy Center and anyone who's listening who thinks, wow, that's something I might want to do. You need to keep an eye on Sarah and keep an eye on the Rainy Center so that when that program is launched, that's a great potential. And, And I love that you are finding ways to make things virtual because there are, you know, I'm a mom of an 18 year old and Luckily, he is going to have a job this summer, just started this week, but there are so many young people right now that lost their summer opportunities. They don't have anything to do. And they have great ideas and they're the next generation of leaders and voters. And and so to the extent that you're helping provide them opportunities, I really think that that is, um, is going to deliver dividends for generations to come. Well, and, you know, hopefully get people, you know, they can learn from the benefit of the experience that I've had and that Bishop have had and that other folks have had and give them, you know, uh, you know, some, some uh, support 
that makes their career transition easier. That's what it's all about. And they'll remember that forever and we'll see great things come from those people. And so I think anytime you can like boost somebody and kind of get them, help them on the path that they want to be on, then, um, you know, it's kind of what you're bringing it back to love. It's a gesture of love. It's a gesture of wanting to help and make somebody be the, help somebody be the best they can be. And I, just think that there's so much good that is going to continue to come out of the Rainy Center. And I'm so glad that you and Bishop had this vision and were able to put it together. And I think two years is a great milestone. And I do look forward to the next. I was at the one-year birthday party. I suppose. You were, yeah, you were. Thank you for coming. That we, was great. I think there was a big uh, thunderstorm that night, if I recall correctly. Oh, there right? was. We yes. could see it we from the deck. We were, we were kind of, we were excited. We thought, oh, we have this new office. We can have our party here. <laughs> and then, of course, it's just not a, a, an advisable thing to do from a public health situation. So yeah. we have not. Um, but we're looking forward to hopefully sometime next summer being able to have a celebration here at the office. I Like I said, I can't wait to see what happens moving forward. I can't wait to come to the next birthday party. And Sarah, I think we just need to have a drink together sometime when that's permissible. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I've got a big backyard, so we can have socially distant. And you uh, have the best here. sequin mask. I've seen so oh, many sequin you. masks, but yours on Instagram, I was stalking and I was like, oh, that is a good one. <laughs> it's pretty great. I'm a big fan. I have another mask from that company that's Blue Lace. Have you seen that one? I did see because I went to the company. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, very beautiful. Well, you know, we need to wear a mask. They should be fun. It makes me more excited to wear one. Right, exactly. It's like instead of lipstick or something, you know, you have your mask on. So. Oh, I still wear lipstick. Oh, I mean, I do too, but people can't see it. It's for you, right? Oh, yes, I do. I wear it for me because <laughs> it makes me happy. And I think that in these times, no one should deny themselves a little thing if they don't have to. RepublicEN.org is the leading voice for climate action, and we want to hear from you. Now, let's continue with this week's episode. Wow, Price. This episode is in the books. You know how I feel right now? How do you feel right now, Chelsea? I feel like when you're planning a party and you're not sure that anyone's going to come or you're afraid everyone's going to come and you won't have enough food and drinks. I feel like, yay, people uh, want to be on our podcast and people are listening to our podcast. It feels like I hit that right balance and I have the right people at the party and the right amount of food and drinks for everyone. It's a party. Come one, come all. Um, we're all uh, toasting and uh, toast, raising a glass to you uh, is our uh, esteemed host. And you know, we've had a great lineup uh, of guests so far. I know we've got uh, a lot of people who've expressed interest in wanting to come on with us and you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, canned and, and in the works and, and planning for future interviews. But, yeah, the party started with a bang, five episodes, and uh, we, th- this party is, is officially uh, – it's officially underway on, on the uh, Republican boat uh, setting sail out in the harbor, Chelsea. It sure is, and I just want to give a huge shout-out to all the people who have 
written to ask either if they could be on the show or to suggest guests. And I promise I will respond to all of you. It's been a pretty crazy week. And, you know, we already had some things in the books, some things recorded, some things planned. So I will get to you. I promise. I love the ideas. And I just, I really love the enthusiasm price. That is my favorite part is to just see that people beyond you and me are excited. <laughs> yeah. Sarah Hunt brought some enthusiasm there with that guest interview. Great job. Uh, and, you know, thanks to her for coming on with us from the Rainy Center. And, um, you know, if you've got, is in terms of you, you, our listeners out there, if you've got a, a guest interview, if you've got somebody you'd like to hear from, if you've got a you know a, an idea for you know somebody that'd be great to have on, uh, drop us a line. Let us know, Chelsea, because we are always the door is always open for suggestions here on the Eco Right Speaks podcast because uh, you know we we can't get enough ideas uh, from our listeners. What what you want to hear is what we want to deliver. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to give a quick shout out, Chelsea, uh, real quick to uh, several new members. Um, you know, if you'd like to sign up uh, at Republican.org, um, we would love to have you sign up. And I'll let Chelsea tell you in a second why it's important. We don't just, it's not just for email collecting or phone numbers or to spam you. I'll let her just explain this just real quickly and succinctly in a second. But we would love to have you stand with us and join Republican.org. It does not cost you a dime. All it does is cost you a couple, maybe 90 seconds to go to our website at that and uh, just fill out uh, the form to stand with us. And a couple of new people, actually we have a lot of new people joining us, but a shout out to a couple random people we pulled. Uh, Barbara Mish from Crestview, Florida. Thomas Fink from Tip City, Ohio. George Wentz from Sandpoint, Idaho, who uh, incidentally Bob spoke to the Sandpoint Rotary Club, uh, what, just a w- couple weeks ago or just in the last week. Uh, Chris Lilly, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sharon Brown, Vancouver, Washington. And then also not too far, uh, maybe about 30 miles as the crow flies for me, Gary Clary, State House representative here uh, in the upstate of South Carolina. So appreciate everybody. Uh, even those that, that I did not reel off right there, uh, everybody who has joined uh, new members to Republican.org. We could not do this without you, and we appreciate everybody for standing with us. Chelsea, tell, tell our listeners just real quickly, if they haven't done so, why it's important to stand with us. Well, Price, why it's important to have a strong membership because, and, and we learned this from our executive director, Bob Inglis, who, you know, did serve in Congress and you and I have both worked in congressional offices. So we can attest to this, that when your people back home start alerting you to the fact that they care about an issue, it really takes, Bob said, I think about a hundred people from your district, maybe a little bit more if you're from a big state to be writing in, you know, sort of unique letters, not just, you know, a signing of a form form letter, but to have those voices saying that they care about an issue. And so, you know, here at Republic EN, EN for energy and enterprise, so we spell it different than Republican, is, you know, what we're trying to do is to show lawmakers that there are conservatives in their districts and in their states who care about climate change. So your voice really matters. It just takes 100. So if you have 99 friends and family members who you who think like you do on this, then sign them up too. And we 
as Price said, it doesn't cost anything. We don't beg for donations, but you do get this very informative weekly newsletter from me called Climate Week in Review, where I highlight the news, um, the climate, the conservative climate news of the week. And, you know, twice a month, I believe we get actions from Wen Lee, our engagement director. You can choose to take them or not. She also does a monthly poll. And those polls help us know better how to serve you and how to talk to you and how, how to help you talk to your policy makers, your friends, your family. So we really just try to be um, very thoughtful about how we use email with you. We don't sell your list, your name to any lists. Um, I know that I'm always unsubscribing from hmm. things, so I'm very sensitive to that. I've spent a lot of the COVID confinement unsubscribing to places I hadn't bought anything from in 15 years, but they felt the need to send me an email to tell me about their COVID policy. So, um, yeah, we're really just very careful about how we use your email. And and who knows, you might be our next great super volunteer. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, want to uh, read off a couple of reviews here because we would also love to have you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, it makes it easier for people to find the podcast. And so uh, we'll take uh, five stars, four stars, three, whatever you want to give us. Um, would, it just takes literally the click of the button uh, when you go and, and scroll down on the Apple Podcast app. Certainly you can listen to us uh, if you're an Android user on Stitcher, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, many different ways to listen. But give us a rating. Uh, and if you want to write a comment, we'd love to We'd love to read it and see it and other people see it. But uh, we'll also probably read it here on the podcast next week. And I'm going to read a couple that we got uh, since the last one. Uh, Far Middle says, thank you, Nick, in terms of Nick Huey, who we had on last week, says they wrote, thank you, Nick, for the term, quote, far middle, end quote. Now I know where I am. And that was a great interview you had. If you if nobody has, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. And it was just a fantastic conversation, Chelsea, you had with Nick Huey last week. Um, and then we had somebody else write in saying, you have fun while educating us. They wrote, Thank you for a refreshing dialogue about the effects of pollution and the many ways to solve it. I am a Republican that wants our leaders to debate how to best put a price on carbon. The risk of greenhouse gases are upon us. So appreciate uh, everybody that uh, took the time to write a little bit of what they liked and, uh, you know, what they think. Yeah, it is. It's so helpful. And as Price said, bright. Give us a five-star review and write a line, just one line, um, and we will read it on the air. So especially if you say something nice, and especially if you say something nice about me. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> we always do. Everybody always does. They gush about you, Chelsea. Uh, gush about what we have coming up next week, because next week could be special. Well, Price, I am not going to announce to our listeners who we have next week, because drum roll, we might have somebody famous, our first famous person. I'm so excited. But the interview date isn't settled yet. So just in case it doesn't happen, I don't want to get people's hopes up. Um, but I just am thrilled. If it doesn't happen next week, it'll happen soon because this person is committed. And I'm just going to say, you know, you and I, I just mentioned it, former congressional staffers. So you know, Washington, D.C. has its own little uh, Hollywood feel to mm. it. So it's not George Clooney. Mm. It's not a movie star. I'll just say that. 
but it is somebody with some great name recognition in our circles. And I think our listeners would be really psyched. So you just have to watch our social media. We will certainly announce it as soon as it's official. When you say somebody famous, hold on. You're saying that you, me, Robert Durden, Inglis, uh, Sarah Hunt, Nick Hewitt. You're, I mean, you're saying that, you know, the voices that you've heard in the first, you know, five odd episodes here are not famous. Come on. Okay. So, you know how Alex Bosmoski, who we all heard from earlier, he loves to say to people, we're going to make you famous. And I hope that this podcast <laughs> makes those people more famous than they already are. But this person is like a big household name. Rock so star. Yeah, rock star. Just going to yep. leave it at that. <laughs> well, you mentioned the boss. Uh, it was awesome that you we got the boss on. and oh, you, so you do call him the boss. I've never called him the boss. <laughs> no, I don't, actually. Um, I'm calling him that for the sake of this podcast because you dropped that. I got that from you. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, he, he signs so many things, Boz and, you know, I'm just going to go with the Boz from now on. I think, I, I think I like it. I'm a big nickname guy. My, my wife always makes fun of me. He's like, well, once you get a nickname for price, you know, you, you, you know, you've arrived as, as his friend. And, um, I, 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 I cling to nicknames and I think this is the one I'm going to go with. I think that, uh, the Boz is, uh, it's going to stick from now on. So when I call him, I'm not going to call him Alex. I, I call him Alexander often, um, it's going to be the boss. So thank you for that, Chelsea. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening this week. Um, again, uh, you don't want to miss next week coming up, but uh, this week, uh, appreciate uh, again Sarah Hunt and the boss uh, for joining us. And uh, Chelsea, uh, I guess, you know, the only thing left to say is have a great week and we'll do it again next week. All right. We'll see you all here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 